0: progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law
1: welcome to the state of health the podcast where patients put healthcare decision makers and thought leaders in the hot seat i'm gunnar esaias on today's three questions episode is governor spencer cox from utah the rule in the three questions episode is simple the role of the interviewer will flip halfway through the show A quick note about today's episode, you'll hear me refer to Governor Cox as Lieutenant Governor Cox throughout the show because this episode was recorded in 2020 before the governor was elected to office. With that, let's get to it. All right, we're here with Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox from Utah. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Cox, thanks for joining the show. Hey, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So something super cool about you is you actually have a brother and a sister with CF. So you're part of the stakeholder family that we like to talk about here on uh, the State of Health, but um, also uh, you're a policymaker. So it's this is a, this is sort of a double whammy interview for us uh, today. Um, but, you yeah, know, thanks Thanks again for joining us. So I just kind of just want to jump right into it. Um, in the last few years, uh, biopharmaceutical innovation has yielded amazing results with the development of transformative therapies to treat a number of rare disease that at one time seemed impossible. What is Utah doing to help support such innovation and what are you most excited about in the future?
0: Well, so Utah has been a, a real leader in the biosciences sphere and uh, working in life sciences and uh, with with some of the technologies that have been so critical in isolating genes and uh, and finding medications that uh, that can impact those those genes. Um, I, I'm most excited exactly about that. Um, the, the the future is so bright for uh, for um, young people with with CF. Uh, my, my brother is uh, gosh, let's see, he's 43. Um, my sister's 41 uh, and you know when they were born the average life expectancy uh, of kids was 11 or 12 and so we've certainly seen progress being made and, and uh, my, my, my sister's is far worse off than my brother um, her, her PFTs are down in the in the mid20s often now and and obviously something we're concerned about but uh, with the new drugs coming on uh, she was finally able to get on on Trikafta, and it's made a huge impact in, in her quality of life and uh, kept her out of the hospital for um, a lot longer than she's been out of the hospital um, in, in quite some time and and those those are miracles and so So when I talk to parents of uh, of newborns and others, I, I, I get to tell them like, there, there's every indication that your child will live a, a normal, healthy, long life just because of the, the, the new drugs that we have and what's on the horizon. So I'm very excited about that. We've been working also here in Utah to make sure that uh, that um, uh, that our our that those with cystic fibrosis have access to those drugs. That's really important. Um, we found that there was there was some flaws in the insurance that we provide to our state employees that was not allowing them to get access to those drugs, and so we jumped right on it. And we were able to make some changes to help that happen. And uh, working very closely with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation here in the state of Utah as well. Um, I'm a member of their board. And uh, and so um, th- that's, you know, we, ha- we have to have the innovation, but we also have to make sure that when we have that innovation, that people get a chance to utilize the, the innovations that are coming.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, a breakthrough is nothing if people can't actually use it. Um, so yeah, that leads me to my second question. Of course, on uh, on the show, we do like to solicit questions from constituents of the policymakers who are kind enough to join us. Uh, so today we have a question from Summer Love. She is uh, a woman with a cystic fibrosis in Utah. And she asks, why does the state of Utah not allow disabled Medicare beneficiaries under the age of 65 to have access to Medigap plans? Uh, now, of course, uh, for, for our listeners who may not know, Medicare is the federal subsidy that uh, covers uh, insurance or health coverage for, for people who are either over the age of 65 or legally disabled. So um, do you have any comments on that?
0: Well, yeah. So, I, and uh, Summer's amazing. I've met Summer before. She's incredible. She's a she's a wonderful advocate. This is this is a question um, that I had not received before. Um, so, it, it is not prohibited in Utah to have Medigap or supplemental insurance. In fact, about ten percent of Utah Medicaid recipients uh, also have other commercial insurance right now. Um, and, and currently, we have about thirty six thousand Utahns receiving Medicaid due to a disability. Uh, we, we also provide some other things: dental, vision, behavioral health, and pharmacy coverage that a lot of states don't. And so um, and we recently expanded Medicaid. Utah is one of the red states that didn't expand um, right in the beginning. Um, We have since done that. And and so a lot of people are getting coverage now that didn't before. And uh, of course, disabled Utahns are are the the, the most vulnerable populations that we have. And we want to continue to provide a full continuum uh, of services. And so um, this is one I'd love to work with with her and others on more. Um, We do do have some really incredible constituent services teams, and if anybody's listening to this, uh, if, if they do have questions regarding eligibility, um, they can call. The number is 801-536-417. That's 801-536-417. And hopefully we can get those questions answered and, and help people uh, who are eligible to obtain coverage.
1: Absolutely. And we'll get that in the show notes. So uh, I'll make sure I pass that along to Summer as well. Um, So, as of this recording, Utah has been cited as one of the many states across America seeing a quick rise uh, in COVID 19 cases. Uh, Sort of seems like the entire world is going through this right now. Uh, What is Utah doing to make sure people living with chronic conditions have continued access to care as the health? as the health system begins to stress, you know, I think we've all seen, you know, images on the news of what it looks like when the hospital wards are just quickly filling. So, um, you know, there's obviously people with chronic conditions, you know, whether it's CF or something else, you know, maybe someone who needs dialysis, you know, they have to access these, these, these medical systems. So how is Utah making sure that moving forward uh, access to care is going to be, you know, something that people can get, get, get hold of.
0: Yeah. Gunnar, obviously um, this has been, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're concerned about the, the death toll. That, that's that's first and foremost. But second is not overwhelming our healthcare system because that's when um, the, the morbidity rate tends to go up. And And, uh, and so we, we are working really hard to do that. Um, our goal has always been to keep um, our, our system, our ICU beds at, at 75% of capacity or less. Uh, we are one of those states that, that have seen a spike and you're right, it's happening across the nation right now. I think all but two states are seeing uh, increases right now. Now, the good news for Utahns is that the spike we're in right now, um, we are seeing it leveling off. Uh, We we hope that that's the case and that it will start to trend down very soon. The last two weeks, we've seen very little growth, but the numbers are are too high. Um, And we are starting to get to that point where we are seeing stress um, in our ICU beds, not our overall um, uh, healthcare beds, but but our ICU beds. Uh, We do have one hospital that uh, that reached capacity, so we're load leveling and and having to move people to, uh, to other hospitals and that's that's deeply concerning. So um, just last week, uh, the governor announced some major changes um, to uh, to protect um, our, our frontline workers and, and to lower the, uh, the, the the rate of spread. And that includes um, some mask mandates for, for much of the state um, that did not have them before, um, working on uh, some limiting of, of social gathering sizes, which is where we're seeing a lot of the spread right now. We're actually doing pretty well in schools. Um, colleges have driven this spread, at least in the state of Utah. That's where we saw our first spikes when, um, when college kids came back to school. We have about 60,000 kids on two campuses in Provo, which are really close together. And uh, that's where we saw it now. Unfortunately, it is spreading uh, to the rest of the state. And so uh, with, those, with those limitations now on, on social gatherings and, uh, and, and more and more people wearing masks, um, we, we, we think we're already starting to see the results of that and bringing it down. Um, that being said, we are preparing if, uh, if, we, if those numbers, hospitalization numbers, continue to grow, uh, making sure we have excess capacity, um, that we get the personnel we need to, uh, to treat people and make sure that we, uh, we don't cause any harm uh, to those who have coronavirus, um, but, but also to those who don't and need access to, uh, to these, these beds.
1: You're absolutely right. The State of Health will be back in a minute. And just so our listeners are aware, we are recording this at the end of October, so there's, there's usually a little bit of lag time between when the show is recorded and when we, we publish, but we'll, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that uh, in the interim. And I, I do think you're, you're, you're absolutely spot on there when you say that, um, you know, it's – The local governments need to have the ability to flex to really make sure that that spread is contained and and to keep the uh, the vulnerable, the vulnerable population as healthy and as safe as possible, Um, which, you know, not only includes my family, but your family and and Summers as well. And I think we're all grateful for the fact that, you know, we're asking some folks around the country right now to make sacrifices so that our our at risk population stays safe, healthy, and uh, the health care system is is there in the case of an emergency.
0: Yeah, and it really is about being selfless, right? Because you, you know, you and your family, you know, whoever you are, might might be just fine, but um, it's it's spreading it to others who who will not be. And we we do the best to uh, to keep our, our most vulnerable um, uh, safe. You know, my, my sister, she doesn't go out much at all. Uh, you know, she's she's very careful. My brother teaches school, and uh, and fortunately, they were able to find a classroom that where they. had Done some it was a science classroom. They did science experiments in like this glass room, kind of connected to the room. And he now teaches inside of that glass room with a microphone and <laughs> speaker to his students. So he's he's looking at them through the glass, but they're you know they're not in direct contact. And so we're finding new ways to protect people, but um it, it is a sacrifice, and everyone needs to sacrifice a, a little bit so that our most vulnerable can be protected.
1: We're gonna take a quick break. When we get back, the role of the interviewer will flip. Now, this is a three questions episode, so I want to flip the microphone around and and uh, give you the opportunity to be the interviewer.
0: Well, I'm so glad I I don't often get to be on the other side of the microphone. So this is a this is a big deal for me. All right, Gunnar. So patients with uh, with CF have really been social distancing forever. In fact, there's a movie that talks about being six feet apart now. We all know what it means to be six feet apart. But what advice can you give to those who are new at this and uh, and how can how can we do things better?
1: So, you know, I, I think one of the most important things to know about CF is that really any sort of virus, whether we're talking about coronavirus, whether we're talking about the flu or even RSV common cold threatens to be life altering for people with CF or other, uh, you know, chronic conditions. So. It, it really starts with educating and understanding one's own surroundings. You know, I, I think I look back to my childhood and I think about my mom and all she used to do to make, you know, the our home a, as safe as possible, whether it was, you know, friends coming into the house or me going to, you know, sports practice or whatever. Everyone was always aware of my own condition and, and what needed to be. To happen really to create a safe environment and I think you know back to the spring when there was such a hesitancy to wear masks and and sort of you know start washing your hands like it to me it was like I was mind blown that people weren't already washing their hands you know so I uh, I think it starts with you know a unified message from the top and also from you know employers and restaurants and uh, and folks who have the most to gain and the most to lose should uh, you know should uh, Coronavirus spread in, inside the community. I, I think that I've always felt that um, you know there's so much you know economic loss to be had if 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 the coronavirus does spread. That you know the, the most incentive to keep a community safe are the people who are who are you know at stake there. And I think that it comes down to as we were talking about before, um, you know, some selflessness and some real understanding of what can happen in the community. And I always say my golden rule is if they're if I ever feel uncomfortable, I'm more than happy and willing to remove, remove myself from a situation. You know, I, I'm, I'm a graduate student right now. And, you know, if I, I we, we have the opportunity to use a flex in-person learning, you know, model right now. And I've just been doing it from home. You know, I feel like I know what's best for me. I know what's best for my family. And I know how best to protect myself. And I think there needs to be a sense of urgency for folks who are in the higher risk population and the ability to do so if needed.
0: You know I, w- what I loved about that answer is that this this idea that these are things we we should have been doing anyway. Yeah. Um- the one, the one that always gets me is I, 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 I cringe whenever they give out awards in school for never missing a day of, of class, um, because what that, what that incentivizes is people going to school sick or going to work sick, right? And uh, we, we, we shouldn't be doing those, those things. Uh, I hope that coming out of this, um, there will be a new appreciation and and more remote learning. So if you do have a cold, you don't go to school, right? Because it puts people like you and and my siblings at risk, and and really, it's just good you know, it's just good citizenship not to be passing
1: our colds and other things around. So I love that. Yeah, You're, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, I, I it's almost like if, if someone's coming to, to work sick, you know, everyone else is going to get sick eventually too, yeah. right? Like then, then you're not only dealing with one person's lost productivity, you're, you're dealing with an entire team's lost productivity.
0: Yep. That's, that's exactly right. All right. Uh, number two, talk to us about um, uh, cost sharing and uh, the benefit to, uh, to patients.
1: So I think one of the things that I do want local and state governments to really recognize is the burden of healthcare on on individual families, you know, and what patients go through to access medicine and or even you know hospital uh, medical procedures and things like that. You know, it's it, the long term benefit of of making sure that a patient can afford the care that they are trying to to do has been well documented. You know, maybe you know short term costs and, and and things like that do pay dividends down the road because people are able to be active they're able to be healthy because they're receiving the care that they need the care that they require to be able to either stay in work to be able to stay in the economy and to make sure that they can access things that they need to be able to do and you know, we were talking about this before you know what is uh, you know what 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 is what, what are states willing to pay for patients to stay in the economy and i think that's something that you know you made quite clear that utah is willing to do for for its citizens and, and to make sure that um people can not only afford the care that they require, but also can afford to stay within the economy.
0: Very cool. Thank you. And last question. Um, what can our state and, and others do to better make sure people with disabilities are included in, in the economy?
1: So I think this is one thing that we're gonna take away from a positive of this pandemic. You know, I'm starting to look for positives. We've been here, you know, we've been doing this for you know eight or nine months now. And, you know, my family, all, most people I know with CF, I'm sure your family, we've been craving this option for remote work. We've been craving this option for remote telehealth. You know, these are things that I think should be, uh, you know, tried and true, because one of my most important, you know, things that I like to talk about is the patient experience and how the patient experience has value for, for employers. You know, people with CF and other rare diseases and other chronic conditions we learn how to manage our time from a very early age. We learn how to balance workflows. We learn how to balance so many different parts of our lives that I can't help but see how those can be positives for any certain employer, right? Employers want disciplined employees. They want people who are going to do a good job. They want people who are going to be hard workers. And I think about any person that I know living with CF or any other rare disease that I've met through my years. And I'm like, those are skills that somebody was, that somebody's owning a business wants to have on their workforce. The thing that they have to do, or be willing to do, to access those 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 skills, is provide an environment where that person with a disability can work for them. And you know, I, I think about the the sudden transition we had to remote work, and it just feels like this has been something that's been coming for so long. Why not make this the standard, you know, moving forward? Why not make uh, employing people with disabilities a a thing? And I've always encouraged people living with CF to. Put that on their resume to make sure that your employer knows what you're doing because it shouldn't be seen as a negative it should be seen as a, a positive affirmation for the skills that you are bringing to the workplace.
0: I love that. Uh, You you may be interested. I actually launched a telework initiative um, last year. And the idea was that uh, by the end of this year, we would have uh, 2,500 state employees working from home. And I think we have 10,000 state employees working from home right now. And and I I couldn't agree more. Uh, It's but but it's it's good for it's good for workers. What we found is so we I I did a study for six months. And uh, we, um, we measured everything that they did. uh, and, And what we found was was that um, of course people drove less so there was less pollution in the air we have an air quality problem here in Utah which is is helpful um, it cut down on on traffic congestion uh, because they weren't on the road um, their mental health actually improved um, do, done done correctly um, they had more time with their family uh, more flexibility they didn't have those long commutes that were you know drive everybody crazy um, and their productivity actually went up 22 percent like if you could do in, in any other industry if I told you I could increase your productivity by <laughs> 20 Twenty-two percent. You would jump all over that, and uh, and and the best part of all is exactly what you said. It gives people um, in remote areas, people in rural areas, uh, opportunities to work that they wouldn't other ha- otherwise have, and it gives those with uh, those with, with some sort of underlying condition who maybe can't be in the workplace opportunities to do meaningful work and contribute in meaningful ways to the economy. Um, there, there's just almost no downside to this. And so I, I'm with you. Uh, I think it's we all have to start looking for some positives coming out of this. Access to hel- telehealth is another one. Uh, teleeducation teleeducation is, is another piece of this that I hope um, we, we won't go backwards, but that we'll find ways to implement these technologies in meaningful ways. So thank you so much for, for letting me join you today and for answering my questions.
1: You know, this is great, Lieutenant uh, over Cox, and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Gunner. That's all for this week. Be sure to join us next week. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at G17 Asiacin, and you can check out my website at GunnerEsiason.com. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to the State of Health and then leave a rating and a review. Big thank you to Governor Spencer Cox for today's interview. State of Health is produced by Bob Dwyer. Thanks to Odyssey for making this podcast possible. We'll see you next week.